get through it all, but we'll, we'll, we'll give you something here. God has been good as we looked over this chapter, and he showed us a couple of things. So we'll just read the first two verses, and then we'll get right in. Verse 1 in um, Matthew, New International Version. After Jesus, let's read it all together. After Jesus, I think it's on the, it's on the screen. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When prisoners speak, that's what we're going to talk about, when prisoners speak. If you know one thing about history, some of our great, greatest historians or people that have inspired us have spoken from prison beds. I'm thinking specifically about Martin Luther King. If you remember when he was in Bethlehem, he spoke and he wrote one of his greatest writings, not with a lot of books, only with his own thoughts. He said, what should a man do but think deep thoughts when you're in this prison? As he reflected on all the things that went on in his life, it led him to the position that he was in prison attempting to share something with people who needed a word, but at this time, it would seem like he needed a word, but he knew his word was bigger than where he was at. So let's take a look at this guy, this John fella, that's in jail, not because he did a crime, but because of what he believed in. Look at verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. If you remember in chapter 10, what had took place was, the ten, he had chosen his 12 disciples. He had empowered them. He had given them specific instruction on what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to heal the sick. He wanted to do all the great works throughout the, the different area of, 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 of Palestine. And as he told them these things, the word started getting out that Jesus had just ordained the 12. John had got the message. Look at verse 2. When John was in print, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent out his disciples. What would you think if you was in jail? Because you had put it all on the line for Christ. And the thing that you were doing, somebody else about to do now. <laughs> Catch this thing. John is in jail now. And because he's in jail for righteousness sake, and now they're replacing them, not freeing them. And his thoughts are, wait a minute. Someone is replacing me. John, the one that was the forerunner. John, the one that had the message that before he was born, when his mother was next to Mary, he jumped in the womb to give glory to God. But now he's not jumping. He's inside prison. So let's see how a prisoner speak. When there's no longer no frills, when there's no more joy, when there's no more something to draw your attention to all the great things that make us enjoy life, what would you say? Now, as I think about John, the first thing I think about is today we're living in tough times. Some of us have lost our job. Some of us lost our houses. Some of us even get, was wedded to a person that said they'll never leave us. And guess what? They left us. So what do you do when you get in prison? And notice, I'm looking at a different prison from John. I'm not really concerned about the prison of the physical nature of John here. I'm worried about the prison that he's in in his mind. Because now he's locked up in the two worlds, fighting for righteousness and standing for it because God has been good and standing for the reality of what he's seeing. And what he's hearing. John is so disturbed by this. Look what, this, look what the Bible is going to say here. When John was a prisoner, of course, it said about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I like that verse. You know why? 
Because that tells me the Bible wanted to be real with me. It didn't say he said, well, God, I believe in you. He said, are you the one? Have you had that prayer yet? Where God didn't come through for you and you said, God, I did everything you said. And is it going to come? Am I going to receive it? Am I going to be restored? You know, the, the Old Testament, oftentimes when we read about people saying they pray for healing, they didn't pray for healing just because they want to be healed. They had heard that God was a healer. So when they were praying for him, they were really asking God to do what he do. John right now said, God, you know what? I stood in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3 to talk about John saying that, you know what? This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God. But now it don't look so fresh in his mind now. He's not a lamb now. He looks like a foreigner, like somebody he don't understand. I was thinking about this the other day. Have, you know, sometime in my life as I think about some of the good things that happened and some of the bad things and some of the things I've been through that really caused me to wonder, God, are you there? Are you there? Are you there, God? And the truth is, I think I got the same type of answer John gets. Let's see what type of answer John gets. Chapter, verse 4 said, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Notice what that verse says in verse 4. Go back and report to John. What do it say? What, what, what you hear and see. Guess what Jesus said to him? (laughs) He told them, to go tell them their testimony of how good God was. Jesus didn't say nothing to them. Blew me away when I seen that. Wait a minute, God. This guy has torn his heart out. He's saying, are you the one? He's ready to break allegiance with you at a drop of a dime. And Jesus come back and said, you know what? Tell them one thing. Tell them what you know about me. Don't tell them no Bible scripture. Tell them what you know. Tell them what you know. Have you been there? Have you been there? When you're really in the thick of things, God sometimes don't send you a word. He sends you a person. A person that breathes. A person that can touch. A person that can understand. A person that can grip you and you grip him. And in the end, you can say, you know what? God, you sent me just what I needed. He sent him just what he needed. And, you know, I like the way it went on to say that. Not only did it say, tell me what you see. He said, the reed swayed by the wind, if not. Uh-oh, I got, did I mess this up? Hold on, I'm back up, I'm sorry. It's verse four or five, I'm sorry. Go back and report to John what you hear. See, the blind receive sight. Notice this. Jesus told them what they were already thinking. The blind receive sight. Have you noticed sometimes when you go and tell people what God would have you to tell them, it's something you already know and you wonder how you know it? Because God had already set a, a, an appointment for you to share what you've been through. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The greatest testimony we all have is once we get to the point that we can just deliver the message God has for us. No more bones about it. Yeah, I mean, it's what it is. I mean, he told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, when you get up there, don't look at their faces. Because if you look at their faces, guess what happened? You're going to be dismayed. So the first thing we have to come to the point is when we got a message like this, here's saying one thing. Don't look at their faces. Look at the reality of what I've done for you and let that carry you. Because if that don't carry you, it's just one step from going back where you came from. So tell them what you see. Tell them what you see. The blind see. So in other words, when he said the blind see, so in other words, talk about my what? My miracle working power. I read Zed Zeppelin's book. He was talking about uh, one of his buddies that had, um, he was selling pots. 
and he seems to hit a downstroke. At first, he was really high, making all the top elite sales across the country. All of a sudden, he fell in a, in a dumper. He was not making good sales. So he went to Led and said, Led, you know, Zig, Zig Ziglar. I said Led Zeppelin. Zig Ziglar is his name. I'm sorry. He said, what's going on here? Why is it that my sales are so poor? And he listened to him. He said, you know what? You don't believe in your product. And so he went back, and the guy was, uh, he was appalled that he told him that. So he went back, and he said, you know what, this guy is crazy. You know, I'm going to buy me a set of my own pots. And he started working with them the next couple of weeks. He started working with them. And all of a sudden, he started meeting clients. He started meeting clients. And all of a sudden, his sales started going up. His sales started going up. And he met with Zig Ziglar, and he said, what, Zig, what was it that you told me? He said, what was it? He said, I told you to believe in the product benefits, not just the product. What is God telling these people? When you trust your own testimony, you don't believe in just the law. You believe in the grace that God has given you to live his life. And what had happened to many of us, we have not came in touch with the grace. We came in touch with the rules, but the grace stayed far from our experience. Thus, when we go talk to people, we got to tell them what we know. And what we tell them is God has acted them. And that's what they believe. So if God is after me, why would I come to a church? Why would I approach a throne of God? Because I think the throne is set up for me to be destroyed and not the throne is set up for God to put me closer to his side. Because he said, do not we have a throne of God, a throne of grace, he said. You know, when you talk about a throne of grace, you know, when you talk about uh, kings and principalities and powers and stuff like that, you would dare not to go in front of the king without being summoned. But God said, I have a throne that's set up for one thing, to give grace. Why would someone need grace? Because you're in trouble. Because you're in trouble. So God is saying, when I give my grace to my people, I send them grace-filled people to my other people so I can link them together. Those with poor reality meet the grace-filled people so I can raise them up to another level. So as we continue to pursue what's going on with this good news that this guy is trying to proclaim, he said lepers cleansed. He's talking about people being cleansed. (laughs) Ain't that amazing? He's talking about people being cleansed and the deaf hearing. Right now, John is at a state that, don't you think he needs a little cleansing right now? Don't you think he needs a little cleansing? And I I thought about that in regards to us. Have you noticed that the times that you're in the worst state and you have the worst case, the worst thoughts about God is the times that we need our mind cleaned out. Because we have fallen in a rut. And when we hit that rut, guess what we did? We felt sorry for ourselves. We felt as if it was insignificant. In fact, I would suggest to you, when it says um, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Go into all the world, teaching all the nations and so forth. And then he said at the end, I am with you, what? Always. Why do he say I'm with you always? Because after you give away everything you have, what do we feel? That God is going to leave us alone. We don't have a place. We don't have a part. But God is saying, once I give you what I give you, I will always supply you with more. That's why he said my grace is new every day. Great is my faithfulness, not your faithfulness. Great is God's faithfulness. So as we continue to pursue this thing and trying to find out what's going on and what these guys are going to tell them, and then all of a sudden it hit us with a, a text there. As John's disciple was leaving, check this out. Jesus, and now the scene changes a little bit. Now we see what's going on in John's head. I have to really skip some stuff. We, we're going to get through this thing. We ain't going to be late, be late, be late. We ain't going to beat this point up. We're going we're gonna to get this thing out. Let's get this thing out. And then it says, John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now catch this. Now he don't sit here and told them, I want you to go tell them what you already know about me. And all of a sudden, they're leaving. And as they walk away, can you imagine them walking away? And then all of a sudden, Jesus almost looking at them, you know, like, y'all tell them what I told you. And they're walking away, and they're going their way, and they're seeing how they walk, what they're going to say, because that's what they believe. 
And then as soon as he, he turned his attention to the other crowd, and he said, you know what? Listen to these words. Ain't this what we all want God to say about us? Listen to what Jesus says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? How many people run out in the wilderness just to see a wind moving a reed? Nobody. These are rhetorical questions. If not, what did you go out there to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? We know John had on camel's hair. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's places. So in other words, kings are in king places, so John wasn't a king. So what did you go out there and see? Jesus asked him this question. He pressing this thing on him. He say, then what did you go out there to see? A prophet. Oh, yeah, yes. Jesus said, yes. You went out there to see a prophet, and guess what? Jesus said, you were right. He was a prophet. But then look what he said. I tell you, you know he a prophet, but listen to what I'm going to tell you he was. This is what he really is. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, they have not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet who, who, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just read there that John wanted to find out if he should believe in him or not. He just asked the question, should I believe in you or should I look for another? Jesus came back and said, nobody greater than the man that's questioning God at this point. Oh, man. Mm, Catch that thing. He's trying to tell us one thing. Don't get discouraged by your questions. Don't Don't get discouraged about your questions. Because after you ask the question, before you even get the answer, God has already said something about you. Because I'm sure they haven't made it to John yet. So his mindset is still the same. But God is saying, Jesus is saying, he is the greatest ever born of woman, even in that mindset. Oh, hmm. Get that thing there. How many people told you when you failed that God had cut you off? How many people told you when you ran into a a tough scenario that you couldn't make it back? How many people have taught you repeatedly that if you do certain things, God is not interested in dealing with you? This person here can't do much at all. John can do nothing at all. He was in prison in his body. He was in prison in his mind. He was in prison in a lot of places, but he had a free spirit open to receive God even when he had questions. So I'm suggesting to you one thing right off the bat, that as we go through our questioning period, as we live in this economy, specifically here in America, we're struggling. We, what, 7%, 8% unemployment, and people can't find a job. Factory jobs, they're gone, and they're not coming back. They finally said it. We're in the situation now, we got to go back to school. And I know about going back to school because I had a wife that kept pushing me. You got to go back to school. I don't want to go, but she keep pushing me. Why? Because she's saying, if you're going to have a future, It's going to require you to deal with now. God is dealing with his now so his future can be better. Because everyone knows it was certain what was going to happen to John. What was John going? To get beheaded. God says certain what's going to happen to you if you don't accept what I'm giving you. You're going to lose to the devil and his plots and his strategies. So God is telling us right away that we need to keep in mind as we deal with the struggles and the fights of life. And as he sends us the message to stay focused on one thing. And that is the greatness of God to maintain and to support and to stand us upright. And that he knows better what we are than we do ourselves. <laughs> oh, man. This is the stuff. And then look at here. And then he went on and says this. He said, truly I'll tell you, among them born a woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whosoever least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I like that division. Look at the division. It's a lot of things we compare to. You know, you compare and contrast good, bad, ugly, good, 
red, black, I don't know, black, white, I don't care, whatever you want to compare. He's comparing John the Baptist's birth to someone that's never seen sin. That's the only thing greater. Can you catch that? He said nothing greater, the least in the kingdom of heaven is better than John, but John is great because look at the comparison. When we minimize who we are in God's eyes, we really don't realize what we're doing to ourselves. The image of God is powerful. It's powerful more than just the fact that God made us. The power for the rebound or to come back is powerful than anything you can ever have. I, I like the story oftentimes in the Bible when they talk about when all our people came for a job and some came early, some came late. Everybody was looking for their wage at the end of the day because time was, it was time to get paid. When it was time to get paid, of course, who got there first wanted to what? Get paid first. But God, Jesus said one thing. You know what? I want the last ones to come first and the ones that was here first to be last. That's the generation we live in, y'all. The people coming in, some of them going to get exalted right to first place. And some of us that has been up high going to be reversed to the bottom side. I, I like work, you know, I, me and my wife, we, we go to this uh, workout place. And sometimes what happens is when you go in, you have all them different rows. One row got about six rows, one, two, three, four, five, six. And, you know, in the front, the teacher, the instructor is in the front. You know, we're doing our exercise or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, the instructor move around and they go over there. And the instructor next you know is behind us and we're doing our exercise. And you see us say reverse squat and we got to turn. And the person that was in the back is in the front and I'm in the rear. I started in the front, but I was in the rear because the instructor relocated herself. Do you know God is relocating himself next to the people who need him most? Because some of us that started don't believe we need him no more. So God changed his position just like he did to children of Israel. When he was moving them through, I mean, when he was ruling the Hebrew children through the, the wilderness, it were certain times that he was leading them and sometimes he had to go behind them. Because he had to always protect his interests. And what was his interest? His people making it to their mission. That's the purpose that God is saying. Don't get discouraged where you're at. Get discouraged by the fact that we don't trust him. That's what we should be discouraged by. That's the discouraging factor. And sometimes I, I like looking at the, the space shuttle takeoff. You know, we, uh, the space shuttle takeoff and you know all of that thrust and that gusto and that bravado. And it takes off and you got to be like a mile away because the smoke go everywhere. And as it go up, you know, it got the side rocket boosters on the side that is a solid rocket. I'm saying liquid rocket. And when they light it, they can't stop it. And once they light it, they start going up. They go up so high and they get into the, the, the high fear and then it falls off. And then the mission continues with just the space shuttle. Hmm. I like looking at that. I said, wait a minute. And go up. And then all of a sudden it gets so high, the rockets drop off and the space shuttle continue. And they retrieve the, miss the, the missiles and then they clean them up and they refuel them and they do it again. I said, hmm. I said, go up and fall off and they do. I said, oh, okay, God, I get it. In this life, some people are going to be able to take us to a certain point and they got to fall off. And God said, you got to trust him to take you to your mission. And that's what he's telling these people. That's what he's telling John. John, look at here. In this life, you had all those different things to aid you get there, but now they're falling off. The only thing you can trust here is me and you. Me and you. Me and you, God. Me and you. So the letters from prison, the first thing it said is that in the process, we thought it was a lot of things, but really it was just me and God all along. Just me and God. You and God. And this being said, God is saying as people walk away, the people you send away and they come back. One thing about it is not what they said, it's what I already said to you. 
Because the only thing they're going to tell you is what I already told you. They're going to testify what has already been done. Here, let me get a couple more things. I don't, I don't know. Let me, five more minutes, we'll be done. Let's just, just get this thing done. No, I'm, I'm going to be fair. They told me to go 25 minutes, 20 minutes. I'm going to be fair with the time. I'm going to respect the fact of what they asked me to do. <laughs> That's right. I got quite a bit here, but we're going to stop, though. And then it said this. It says, look at here, and then that second part. From the days of John the Baptist, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been subjected to violence. And the violent people have been raiding it. Hmm. The way King James said, the, the kingdom of God suffer violence and the violence take it by force. I like that. The kingdom of God suffer violence, but the violence take it by force. Have you noticed you never got nothing by somebody giving it to you? You always had to fight for it? Have you noticed that yet? Something that you really wanted, you thought you was going to get it easy, but you had to get out there and roll up your sleeves and just go get it. You had to go get it. It was easy at first, but at some point, people are going to require something of you. Even the easiest thing, they want something. God is saying in the kingdom business, quit thinking things are going to come easy. You're going to have to take it by force. This thing costs something. This thing costs something. This thing costs something. And what it costs is that we have to put our mind, our heart, and our ambition to, in God's hands so he can do great things for it. I read, a, I, I read a little bit about John. I like John. And it said that John, you know, they were called the uh, sons of thunder because they had uh, natural propensities that seemingly would never be turned towards God. They were always rough boys. But yet, John always stood near Christ. And I read something the other day. It blew me away. It said that John had a nature underneath the cruel and the brutal sense that he existed that had a tender place for God. And that tenderness was something that God built on to make him into everything he needed him to be. So he said underneath that. And then I thought about John. And then I thought about John here. John at this point is dealing with the reality of his circumstance. But he still had that tenderness underneath. That faith and that belief that he wanted to believe God. And God took that faith and belief and made him into a, a victorious person. Even sometimes when he didn't want to be victorious in his own mind. So I'm saying in other words, God make provisions for us even in our weakness. That's what I'm trying to say. God's make provisions for us. Because the thing that so often happens to us, when we get discouraged, guess what? We run. We run from the very thing we need to run to. So I'm just suggesting to you, by far, by everything I've read and understood, better yet, let's go the way that the disciples went. He told them, tell them everything you've seen. Everything I have seen in my own life, how God can do great things in my life and other people's life. And when we see those things, that will give us power to believe. You know, I was reading about, did y'all hear about the, the girl in New York, Brooklyn? That was a seven-day Adventist. She had four children, and she was set up to be married this weekend. And uh, she was pregnant with a child, and she was killed. And the child died, and she was a seven-day Adventist. And somebody called me and told me, did you read about that? And they were saying, oh, that's so cruel. you know." And I'm listening, and my mind was a little disturbed. I'm like, what is they trying to tell me? They were discouraged by the fact the girl had babies, this, that, and other. I said, what are you talking about? And then it dawned on me. God told me it's clear as day. They got the wrong picture. What the, she should have been seeing, the person that told me, that she had four babies and with a child and going to get married, so that means she still believed in spite of what she'd been through. What they should have understood, that she was still coming to church even when she had great disappointment, because everybody knows when you have a few kids, we get a little disappointed. We don't want to believe no more. We don't want to believe that if we put our trust in someone again, that they will validate us as people. So guess what we do? We go inside. And we go inside, guess what happened? We can never receive what God has, and we can never change our situation. But this lady had believed, so I saw the glory in it, that, yo, she died, but guess what? She died with the blessed hope. 
The blessed hope that her Savior will rise her up, raise her up because she believed in him. Not where she's been, but where she believed God was taking her. So finally, as we look at this story and we see what's going on, we're going we're gonna to kill it right here. It said, look at here. It, let, let, I'm going to just do an overview of what, what some of the things happened. Afterwards, we talked a little bit about the generation. If God would have been just as gracious to uh, Sodom and all the other generations that live after, that they would have repented. But they didn't repent. And God was gracious. And then as it kept going on, they were prisoners based on the reality of them not wanting to believe. But as it continued going on, down to 28, look what verse 28 said. I really wanted to get there, but we won't get there the way we need to. But let's just go down to 28, 29, and 30, and we'll kill it there. Look what it says. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. These people need rest too. This is a different type prisoner. This is a prisoner to hard labor. How many people heard about in Arizona where they have the apricots on the trees dying in Arizona? There are apricots that is ready for harvest in Arizona. They haven't been able to pick them because, you know, they, they, invoke, they start uh, pulling people over for that new Arizona law, the immigration law. So all the immigrants ran out. So they have no one to pick the apricots. So what they did was... They started going around in the community and they hired some different people to do the job between $10 and $15 an hour. And when they came, they stayed there for two days and they quit. So now they have no one to do their vineyard. And the reason why was that the people were so greedy with wanting the, 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 the filthy lucre. They planted the trees so high they had to go up on the ladder to get to it. So the people who was picking them, they didn't have a problem with picking the small things. They had a problem with climbing the ladder and then they had to stretch to get the apricot. They didn't mind picking the small things. They had a problem climbing and stretching and getting the big things. And I said, God, what is you trying to tell me? If <laughs> we're living in a generation that no longer can we pick the small thing, we got to climb by God's grace and stretch our personalities and stretch our characters and allow God to do great things for us. If we're not willing to stretch, then God cannot take away our burden because to take care of burden away, we need to allow God to stretch us. So we'll end it here. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today that you have taught us that we don't have to be prisoners. We don't have to be victim of circumstance, but we can stand because your grace has been so good to us that Anything that we bring, you're willing to accept. But most of all, it ain't what we bring is what we're willing to believe in. We're willing to believe in the fact that, God, you're greater than our sins and you're greater than our past performance and you're greater than all our secret vices and that you'll do great things for us. So, God, we submit to you today, like John, we struggle in the prisons of our own mind. We struggle because sometimes we're not willing to realize that we're not in competition with people. We are in competition with submitting to you. The competition is nothing. We lose, God. We surrender. So God, fix us, continue to mend us, continue to do great things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, come on, say praise the Lord.